0: This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR, sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state, and by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for listening. Is it nature or nurture that makes us into who and what we are today? That was the premise behind the comedy classic Trading Places, starring Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy way back in 1983. And while the comedy was fun and the language a bit offensive, the premise was real, which contributes more to our development environment or genetics. After all, we are all products of our parents and their parentings. God help our kids. The great Spanish born American philosopher, George Santana said to those who do not understand or study history, they are condemned to repeat it. I'm convinced this statement has merit and there is great value in understanding our origins. What food banking was a generation ago when it started is not what it is becoming today. Change management for any organization is hard. It is grinding and tiresome but it is also necessary and important. Today, Jerry will help us understand more about where we came from and how that helps us determine who we are today. Dr. Dawn Opel, Food Bank Council of Michigan's General Counsel and Director of Research and Strategic initiative, returns to the show to help us see who and what we can become, all in the pursuit of a food secure Michigan. Our future is bright, bold, and boundless. Stay with us to discover more. Welcome, everyone. Jerry, great to see you, and welcome back to Dr. Dawn Opal, a regular on the show. Dawn, great to see you, too. Thank you both for being here. Let's have a great show together.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Nice to see you, Don. You know, glad to have someone strategic on the show again. And, uh, and you know, not that that doesn't happen often, but you're so special to us.
0: Aw, thanks, Jerry. Let's dive right in here because um, this grant, Dawn, maybe you could start with just a, a real quick, you know, uh, explanation of what, this boundless opportunity that we have and where it came from what it is and then we'll circle back to jerry who can i think can give us some really good context of why it's important
2: sure i'm happy to so boundless collaborations are collaborative ventures between two or more food banks that transcend historical service area boundaries to catalyze ca- transformative opportunities Uh, They can cross literal boundaries, like the boundaries of a territory that a service uh, or a service area that a food bank works in. But they also represent something greater, belief and investment in the boundless potential of working together.
0: Wow. The whole spirit of collaboration right there. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry, uh, I don't know, man. It was probably in the first year of the show. We did a show on collaboration. And we said there are three things that if you're going to collaborate with us, you had to be able to do. Do you remember what those three are? (laughs) Maybe two,
1: you know, I always get stuck on one of them.
0: But uh, I would say, you know,
1: in my experience, obviously, you have to be sharing some pain. And so what that means is you're both trying to solve a problem, right? Your collaborative partners are trying to solve a problem, and it has to be the same problem in some kind of way, right? You have to share some pain that you're trying to solve together. Then you also have to share the price of fixing it, right? It can't be only one partner contributing to the cost of fixing it. It has to be everybody contributing and paying the price. That's not just money. That's also time and leadership and the other things it takes To solve a problem so so and then the last one i think is priority right it's got to be something that's important to you both it can't be important to one and not to the other and if you have those three things if you're sharing some pain if you're sharing some price and you're sharing some priority that will make for a collaboration that's likely to succeed
0: that's awesome i remember that show i mean i've carried those three p's with me ever since then and Dawn, that really kind of fits right into the spirit of the boundless collaborative project that you're giving leadership to. And now tell us a little bit about how many food banks and what area, what's, and what are we going to try to do with it?
2: Sure. So uh, the Food Bank Council of Michigan, uh, where Dr. Phil and I uh, work, are working with uh, Jerry Brisson's Gleaners Food Bank, uh, Community Food Bank, as well as uh, two food banks, one food gatherers in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and the South Michigan Food Bank in Battle Creek, Michigan. So it's really the food banks that comprise pretty much the south uh, part of Michigan, and um, and we're going to be working together on a planning uh, the planning portion of this grant, which is for the for the rest of 2021, uh, in order to see if we can join together to create uh, a a model for. Uh, home-delivered food to needy seniors in South Michigan. So we'll be piloting it in 2022 after the planning stage and the development when we have um, got a plan together and are ready to to launch. And we're working in conjunction with the Department of Health and Human Services, um, particularly adult and aging services, uh, to to identify uh, the need and how to best uh, collaborate to address that need in, in starting in South Michigan, but hope to go statewide. Uh, after the end of uh, the implementation phase of this grant?
0: So it's two phases to it. There's a planning grant. That's between now and the end of this calendar year, 2021. And then if if we prove to the funder, which is Feeding America, our national organization, that we can indeed hold hands, play nice, and work together, then there's 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 some funding for an implementation side that would... In the end, get needed food boxes to seniors who are in um, who are in need of food, or are in desperate straits, so to speak.
2: That's correct. So, um, so part of what this involves is uh, scaling our efforts that we have done in the past in a way that is sustainable. So we really have to look at what. Um, each food bank. So when we're looking at sort of um, the skin in the game for each food bank, really looking at what part of the program they would want to be to participate in, and think about how they may perform services that would that would benefit uh, Michiganders that may live outside of their own service area. So they're really forming almost, um, you know, uh, their own sort of uh, side company almost to do this program and the, and the three food banks will all work together as one entity in order to execute that program.
0: So I, I want to really peel the layers off of this, Jerry, and we might not have time in this segment, but I really want to, to for our audience to understand why this boundless grant opportunity is so pivotal and so important to our work. And I only think we can do that if we understand the history of how food banks came into being and how they were set up in the beginning, this whole idea of service territories, why it was important then, and maybe why it's a bit of a stumbling block now. And I think you're the guy that can help us do that. You're like you know Christmas past, dawn is like Christmas <laughs> present and and together y'all are Christmas future. Um,
1: Man, if I remember that Christmas past guy, wasn't he a really old guy with these chains wrapped on his body? I'm feeling a little vulnerable here.
0: Right. Well, let's just say you have a lot of perspective and wisdom, institutional history. Um, oh, may, maybe that'll glamor it up a little bit for you. The uh, fact really is, you 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 know that what the history of this organization is nationwide and why why that's important uh for us to come so i want to dive into that but i want to give everybody a chance to kind of finish this segment here with any comments that you have so jerry let me come to you
1: yeah i so first of all we're really excited to be participating in this we think there's a real opportunity to continue to learn and grow right we're reinventing how we do things um not just with food banks but with new partners right with partners that we haven't worked in this with in this way before and and since we started the show if we're going to go back to those early days that's one of the things we said it would take if we want to have a hunger-free community we do believe we can have a hunger-free community but it's going to mean reinventing ourselves and bringing new partners to the table and this Uh, collaboration is one of the things that we're doing to bring new partners to the table and reinvent ourselves. So it's pretty exciting.
0: Well, I have to say too, that just to close out this segment, that one of the reasons we, we believed we could do this is because when the pandemic hit, Dr. Opal, our guest today, saw a tremendous need among the, the senior citizen population of Michigan. And, um, while it wasn't necessarily her responsibility or in her job description, she saw the need and she grabbed that need. And some of what we're experiencing in this opportunity to have a bound, a boundless collaboration is because of the work you did back in the pandemic Dawn, that really ensured that vulnerable seniors were able to get the food that they needed. And, and this, this effort is coming out of that work during the, the found during the pandemic. And so I have to congratulate you. I have to also say thank you because I do think there are seniors who would have suffered greatly had it not been for your leadership and your efforts during the pandemic.
2: Well, I certainly appreciate that. Um, But I will also say that Jerry was the one that had the food. So, you know, so (laughs) if, if it had not been for that, you know, we wouldn't have been able to connect those dots and take advantage of that opportunity. But I would agree with you that the boundless uh, opportunity that we now have is really piggybacking on the lessons learned from, from the pandemic and, uh, and really what we uh, experienced in terms of who we could reach and who we couldn't statewide um, in partnering with the state. So, so we have a lot to build on and I think a lot of opportunity ahead to, uh, to, to meet more people where they are and, and really to, um, to serve the state better.
0: Well, we're back with Dr. Dawn Opel, Jerry Brisson, myself, Dr. Phil Knight. We're all three back in just a moment. You come back and be with us. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for being with us. Dr. Dawn Opel, the General Counsel and Director of Research and Strategic Initiatives at the Food Bank Council. Our, uh, I don't know, our common guest, our common expert is is back with us today. So, Dawn, um, we appreciate you taking the time here. And then, of course, our uh, resident uh, historian and uh, philosopher of ancient, you know, all things food banks, uh, Jacob Marley, I mean Jerry Versan is here uh, so Jerry um, we're talking about this boundless collaboration, this opportunity. We know that it it is from lessons learned in the pandemic is from the leadership that really you guys and some of our other food banks gave d- to meet the need of senior citizens um, and and now this partnership with dhHs and the um, and their uh, department about aging. All of this is coming to fruit here, um, but the, the challenge that food banks have had historically is can we work together? Can we hold hands? Can we use our strengths in order to serve more than what's we're actually responsible for within our service territories? So this idea of food banks without boundaries um, why were they there? Why are they there in the beginning and why are why were they important?
1: Yeah, so to frame this up, probably got to start with what is a food bank. What does a food bank do, right? So so a food bank serves the community primarily by being the the part of the food supply to people who need food that sources the food, we find it whether that's free or whether we have to pay something for it, we find it. Then we have a partner network that's made up of food pantries, right? Some people mix up what a pantry is and what a food bank is. A food pantry has the food that the food bank, and sometimes they get a bunch of their own sources too, but they bring volunteers together mostly. A lot of times it's in a church basement or a community center, or or it could be a mobile distribution, but those partners bring the food together, and they let the community know you can get food here, right? So the food bank is a little bit behind the scenes, much of the time, finding a way to get the food and then get it to that partner network. That's how food banks fit. So when food banking got started, there was a great deal of interest in it, right? There was, there was, uh, there was a lot of food available in the food supply chain that was going to waste, and people wanted to find a way to capture that food. Well, in the end, though, you don't need a food bank on every block. You only need so many food banks in that role of being the middle person. And and at the beginning, food banks had to figure out how many of those do you need and where should they be? And when people started fundraising and other things, there was a lot of concern about overlapping that you've got a food bank over here saying they're doing one thing and another one over here saying they're doing another thing. So there had to be a way to organize all that activity so that communities would understand what's really going on here. And the way they organized it was to create independent service territories that don't overlap. So, so Gleaners, for example, has five counties that it serves in Southeast Michigan. It's 42% of the poverty in Michigan, but it's only five counties right west michigan food bank they have the entire west side of the state plus the upper peninsula it's 40 counties or 42 counties 40 so they have almost half of all the counties in the state for that one food bank right so so what we've learned over time is that the way those service territories evolved wasn't necessarily the most efficient way to serve the community based on the other work that's going on. So when you look at, for example, services to seniors, those services don't start and end in the five counties that, are, that my food bank is responsible for, right? So it made a lot of sense at the beginning to have independent territories with clear boundaries, but now those boundaries sometimes get in the way of doing the work because other work with populations that need help don't fit those boundaries perfectly. So thus the boundless collaboration idea it's, let's let go of this idea that food banks need to only operate within one set of territory or one territory, one set of counties and start thinking more broadly based on the other work that's being done and the way those partners define their service territory, right? so so when you look at dhhs their service territory is the entire state of michigan they don't have seven you know food banks like we do that break that territory up the way we break it up they have the whole state so if we want to partner with dhhs we have to do that in a way that's that honors their service territory which is the whole state not the seven food bank territories the way we have them organized So I, you know, and it makes sense that that would happen. I mean, sometimes things develop like wine or cheese, right? The older they get, the better they are. Sometimes (laughs) things develop like produce or milk. The older (laughs) they get, the worse they are. But they all start out good, right? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. That's a great analogy. Yeah. So Dawn, how does Jerry's historical perspective fit this opportunity today?
2: Well, two things struck me as Jerry was as, was talking through that. One is that when you partner with the state, um, they do have um, they do have agencies of their own that are in entirely different service territories than food banks' service territories are, which means that it's additionally difficult to partner. If you only have programs in your little service territory, and you have, and you're trying to partner with an organization that has a different service area in which half of their members would be eligible and half would not for a particular service, and that's where things get. This is kind of some of the clunkiness that that we're trying to address. That we're really trying to say we want to know for certain that we can um, sign someone up for a program that will be available no matter where you live in the state of Michigan and what that means is that there has to be the same level of service and the same offering across service areas. And that's been extremely hard for food banks to do. It tends to be that there's a very unique set of programs and services based on the partnerships, the history, the, you know, the unique circumstances in those counties at which, you know, which are largely, you know, a lot of that is due to the resourcing that is done in one food bank area. But to partner with the state, it becomes, well, this needs if these eligibility standards are met we have to be able to offer this program and so that's really where we're trying to go to ensure the same level of access no matter where you live that gets tricky with our history as as um, as separate charities that you know that ensuring that becomes quite difficult and so you know so for for many of the partners that we're excited about partnering with they need us to be able to step up and offer um, the the same, the same caliber of service across service area. And the second thing that I would talk about is really equity. So Jerry talked about how in, he has five counties, but he has 43% of, um, of the poverty in Michigan. Well, we know that the people who need our services the most are deeply concentrated in certain areas because of historical and systemic Factors um, such as redlining, um, systemic racism. So we know where people have had more opportunity and less opportunity. And again, that doesn't neatly fall in service areas. So, you know, so if the goal is to try to, where people are deeply food insecure, try to meet those needs better. Um, you know, it, it comes down to sort of really working together to figure out what is a plan to really get after these areas that have that have long suffered um, communities that have long suffered more than others have.
0: Well, when I hear you talk about equity and then I also really heard you talk about essentially the DNA of food banks, both of you. I mean, we're talking about changing the nature of our organizations, along with its business model, along with its program and service delivery model. That's a lot of change, guys. And I'm hopeful for us because it gives me hope for the community and the, the families that we serve.
1: I think one of the things we're gonna have to be mindful of as we go, as we learn to, to be more boundless, right, is to remember that in the end, food security is solved in households and in communities. And so one of the dangers of growing outside, growing bigger, thinking more systematically, is that you develop one-size-fits-all approaches that don't really work in local communities. So, So the service territory idea that food banks adopted really values that the solutions are often best when they're thought about and developed locally, but it has limitations. So how do we marry the strengths and the limitations of those models to create solutions that make us all better? I think that's where the rubber meets the road and it'll be really good to to, um, understand both of those values and how they pair together to make successful solutions.
0: Well, I really enjoyed this segment. I love hearing you both talk about this, both from a historical perspective and a present what we're trying to do and how those both marry to look to a brighter, more boundless future. But don't go away, we're gonna come back with Dr. Dawn Opal, Jerry Brisson, myself, Dr. Phil Knight. We're back. You come back and be with us too. Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're back with Dr. Don Opal, Jerry Brisson, myself, Dr. Phil Knight. We're here and we're talking about the boundless collaboration, an opportunity for us to impact more than our own territories. And that's what food banks have. They have areas that they are responsible to serve to ensure that people who are struggling with the toxic stress of food insecurity have access to the healthy, nutritious food that they need for their families and that they also want. So, guys, um, I'm full of hope here. I really love what we're doing and what we're building. So, I want to direct this part of the show to the potential for the Boundless Collaboration Project. And 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 Don, you wrote the grant. You you dreamed this up. So let's start with you. What what's what's possible?
2: Part of this, like we talked about, really arose from uh, trying to serve seniors better during the pandemic who were facing food insecurity. And one of the things that really came to light is that the programs that were designed to address senior food insecurity were created during the New Deal and um, and largely were focused on um, Uh, supplementing um, uh, social security and for those who really, um, programs like Meals on Wheels were really developed to help folks who had difficulty uh, cooking for themselves and face social isolation. And what has happened in the time since, you know, we're now in the 21st century and the needs of seniors, uh, not just the needs, but the numbers of seniors have risen dramatically, and then the number of seniors in need um, who are living in food insecurity have also risen dramatically. And yet we're relying on the same New Deal programs to serve those seniors. So part of this is really looking at what could be a national model, the same way that you know the names of certain government programs. You know, no one. You know, if you ask someone what Social Security or SNAP or Meals on Wheels, they would know what those programs are we're really looking to create a program here that can be complementary to those programs that can really serve more seniors and will continue to through the 21st century with the graying of the baby boomer population
0: Don, I appreciate that so much I mean the vision that you've had for this starting in back in the pandemic when you saw the need for seniors and now to look at where we're at today that and I might I might just mention that this planning grant was, uh, was available to every food bank in the Feeding America network nationally and only a very, very few were selected and your proposal on behalf of the Food Bank Council and our network was one of them and I don't remember exactly how many it was, but it was, it was like a handful, I think, nationwide.
2: That's correct. There were just a couple in the planning stage and a couple that are already uh, implementing and, um, and those other four states are all also leading really important projects around health equity and data. Um, thinking about prepared meals and how to do prepared meals at scale statewide, which I do believe that you know that we're also uh, taking a look at too. So, um, so there's there's a lot of great. Like I do see us as a part of this great cohort of innovators in our in our Feeding America national network.
0: I am too. I'm excited, Jerry. What do you see? What I mean, you've given your life to this work. This has got to be something that you've thought about, dreamed about? How could we have greater impact?
1: Well, I mean, I think that Dawn's description of times change so we have to change is pretty right on. I mean, you know, it's not the same world it was in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, and, and, um, and so we have to think about ourselves differently. I also think that while food banks were generally started to eliminate food waste, um, we as a community of, of social innovators and people that care a lot about people in the community, I think that our role is is evolving to something more, that, that we're not just keeping food from going to waste. We're also providing leadership around the issue of how do you have truly food secure communities. And mm-hmm. so with that additional responsibility and, and evolution comes new thinking and and new things to try and, and pilot programs and partnerships and, and, and things that make us better. Um, and we know we have to do more to have food secure communities, uh, but it's not just more, it's both more and better. And so as we learn how to define who needs help, how much help, and for how long, right, as we begin to define that better, we're realizing that the answers to those questions go beyond our individual service territories right they go they 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 cause us to stretch our thinking beyond where we've limited our thinking before so i think this is a really good opportunity to learn right we know who needs the help right We know there's people that serve them in a broader capacity than we do. And we know that one of the key things that our seniors need to be successful, or at least many, many, many of them is a way to get healthy food. And, um, and we know that affects their health. We know that affects their ability to get around. We know that affects even their emotional life in reality, right? That, that this food impacts people in so many deep and significant ways. So, so. Continuing to learn how do we do more and better is, is where we are now. And so I think that's good. I think, I think we've said it. I think, you know, food first is about getting to that place where we can truly say we have food secure communities. There's still a lot of work to do, but this is a really key piece of work. And as Don says, the kind of work that can turn into a household name. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and is so effective and so important and so integral to people's life and success that you start hearing the name of that program. It probably won't be boundless collaboration. That probably Mm. won't be the name of the program, (laughs) but, uh. But it will have a name, and uh, and as we develop and evolve this with other partners who have a vested interest, right, they share our pain, they share our priority, and they're going to share a promise. I'm going to give that P in here, too. Um, but they're going to share the price, right? All together, I think we're going to figure out some pretty exciting things.
0: Well, let me let me ask you this, because this is a little, and the weeds, um, and you two, I think, can really, uh help me and help the rest of us understand this one of the problems that we face is is this last mile um they're described this as we've got the food we're getting it to uh let's say close to the people who need the food and the people who need the food are trying to get to the food but there's a there's a gap here this last mile so to speak the last minute how How is this program going to address that? Because Dawn, I know that we faced this in the pandemic when we were sending senior quarantine boxes that Gleaners and, and Food Bank of Eastern Michigan were helping us build. We were sending those across the state. And I have to give a shout out here to Carolyn Bloodworth from Consumers Energy Foundation, because she helped us with some of that last mile issue by recruiting, Consumers trucks and vans and drivers to help some of that food get right to the address of the seniors. So how will this program address that gap in service.
2: Yeah, that's a really important point, Phil, because. Uh, we know that the um, most home delivery programs uh, are really based on a volunteer uh, backbone um, to get to that last mile. And what we learned during COVID, and this is not just, this is everyone trying to perform home delivered um, services to folks. We learned that that was really, really not resilient um, in a situation where people had to stay home. And we continue to know that it's also not a scalable proposition that um, that it's very difficult to rely on teams of volunteers to do home delivery at scale it's why most home delivery programs that are charitable are small um, so so the question is how okay so how do we create a more scalable home delivery system and you know what i think i think what we're seeing in the post pandemic or in this in this time right now is we're really seeing uh, nonprofits and for-profit ventures in which nonprofits are really using the infrastructure of for-profits. So for instance, Amazon Prime or DoorDash, um, you know, or companies like that that have the infrastructure, you know, to either look to partner or to replicate or to figure out how to have a a going concern um, that is charitable, but that takes advantage of some of those um, that have met at, you know, at scale, these infrastructure challenges. And that's what Boundless is really designed to take a look at. At is what is the best carrier for the food at scale? At you know, because right now we just can't seem to get beyond um, you know sort of a very limited service delivery area for home delivery. And granted, mm-hmm. everyone doesn't need home delivery, although. Amazon Prime is probably um, telling us different, uh, but right now it seems as though everyone wants everything home delivered all the time, and you know. But for some people, that is truly a need. It is not a want. It is that they are homebound. They have limited sure. transportation options. They live in rural areas with very little access. Um, there are large swaths of the population in Michigan that fit this criteria. That we need to have an option to be able to serve better. And so, looking at these sort of entrepreneurs entrepreneurial options and also looking at how we can make them, um, you know, actually uh, make sense for the budgets that we have. And, you know, but this is why we need to work together because no one food bank could just say, oh, overnight that on UPS, because it's just it's 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 unaffordable. But, you know, but if we all work together and say, well, perhaps we're going to one food bank is willing to invest in Um, you know, an additional fleet of refrigerated trucks, et cetera. Like these are the types of logistics questions that we're all going to put our heads together. We're going to hire a consultant, really take a deep dive into a feasibility study to try to figure this out. And we know it has eluded all of us and not just food banks, but the government, other nonprofits. You know, it's been a challenge uh, throughout the pandemic and much before that.
1: You think about um, driverless vehicles as something that's being developed right now or drones, you know, we're not sure in the air, on the ground. We're not sure exactly how this is going to work, but by starting on these projects now and really diving deep into what is it that people really need? How do you deliver those services? um, You know, we're going to learn enough so that as these other technologies develop, we can smoothly integrate those into the process, too. So so the cost benefit of providing these services is, is an important question, because that lets you know how much you can scale them with the resources that you have. It also gives you a point of view on the resources that you need. And then you can start comparing that solution to other solutions for social problems that also need to be solved to say, this one should be first, second, third, or however you want to figure that out. But at the end of the day, I think the process of figuring it out is going to help us not just in the short term but in the longer term as some of these new technologies become available to reduce the cost and, and keep a very high benefit for providing, if you will, the service right to the home. But it will be a mix in the end of services to the home, services at central locations and, and ways to, to maximize all of those possibilities for people.
0: Well, we better wrap this segment up. And Dawn, let me just say that it's a joy to have you on the show every time. And thank you for your boundless leadership that's taking us, helping to take us places we've never been before. And, uh, and thank you for investing your one handful of life in this great mission of food security.
2: Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you both.
0: Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Dawn. I'll be back with a food for thought in just a moment. Time for a little food for thought. Opportunity often comes disguised as a problem. A challenge can become an opening. During hard times, we often learn more about ourselves than we knew and discover a glimpse in the midst of the hardship of who we might become. That's what this show was about, a boundless collaboration. And until we reach that boundless collaboration, we'll continue to put and keep food first, folks.